Tuesday, April 29th, 2008. It is about 8.30 a.m. My name is Jessica Bolger, and I am here interviewing Dr. Jean Baker, a history professor at Gaucho College, and we are in her office on campus. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that you received your BA from Gaucho? Yes, um, I didn't start here, but I actually went to another single-sex college in Vassar, and in my day, there were really very few co-educational colleges and universities. And I was married, and then I wanted to complete my AB, and my husband was a medical student at Johns Hopkins, and so I came to Goucher. I must say that in terms of understanding the conservative nature of decades past that, and I only understood this later, that there was some disagreement about whether a married woman should be admitted as an undergraduate commuting student. And when I learned that I was really appalled, um, and perhaps that influenced my views on single-sex education, which I really wasn't thinking about this when I was completing my degree because I had kids. My husband was really busy <laughs> as a doctor, but it just seemed to be a constraining atmosphere which gets probably into some of the questions that are forthcoming. But anyway, yes, I finished my, and then I got my doctorate at Johns Hopkins. And just one word about that. I was, um, I guess that in our entering class to get doctorates at Hopkins, there were two women and 25 males. And perhaps it's that experience that made me become a real opponent of single-sex education. Um, have you taught anywhere besides Gaucho? Yes, I've taught, I taught for a year at Harvard as a visiting professor. Um, I was actually offered a job there, but I didn't want to commute. I also taught at the University of North Carolina, and both of those are single sex. I mean, excuse me, where am I? Must be, must be 8 o'clock, not 8.30. Um, are co-educational universities with graduate programs. Was it strange coming from a co-ed school to teaching at a single sex um, school? No, because we really didn't teach when we were in graduate school. If you go on to graduate school, and I hope you will, um, you'll find that you do a lot more teaching. We were trained to be scholars and write books, and it was sort of a scandal because nobody knew when they got their first jobs. Uh, and my first job actually was at a community college Nobody had any idea about pedagogical techniques or 
how to engage students or any of those things. So um, it really, the co-ed to single sex was not a challenge. It, it was simply teaching students that was a challenge. What made you decide to want to teach at Goucher? Well, um, there were not a lot of opportunities. Um, and Goucher offered me a job is really what it amounts to. And because I had children, I was really tied to the Baltimore area. And over time, I've gotten other job offers. But it just never seemed to me that in terms of what I wanted to do, that I wouldn't be giving more time up waiting in airports to get back and forth. And my husband, of course, who was a professor of surgery at Hopkins, he also had opportunities to leave. I remember once li lining up, this was to go to California, to, he was looking at a job at the University of Cal Medical School in California, and he, I remember lining the children up on the stairs and encouraging them all to cry and say that they didn't want to leave Baltimore to um, discourage uh, his, <laughs> any departure from Baltimore, where both of our families are. I know someone who graduated from Goucher when it was still an all-women's school, mm -hmm. and she's still not happy about the yeah. decision to go co-ed. Yeah. Was that feeling common? Yes, I think you? it was, and the people in development tell me that that group don't contribute to Goucher in terms of alumni giving at the same rate that one might expect. Um, one can ho only hope that that feeling of animosity, which is probably the way you're feeling about historic preservation. You came in and something was promised you and then it was changed in midstream and no one liked that. Uh, but there was a really active group that, I mean, they had t-shirts and they picketed when the trustees were voting on this great decision. and. I, <coughs> excuse me, I think it, it, we all get invested <coughs> in what we anticipate and it's hard to change. From my point of view, it was both a necessity and a good thing for all women that Goucher went to education. Why is that? Well, the world outside of those little bricks that you ride over, it, it, it's co-educational. And while I do think that you're, you can make an argument for single-sex education in younger grades, m most specifically, I would say middle school. And indeed, one of my grandchildren went to a single-sex independent school, and I think it was good for her. I think by the time mature young women go off to college, leave their families. It's really important for them to deal 
with some of the social and sexual issues that are involved with the world as it is when they graduate from Goucher. Now, having said that, I'm also convinced that there is a place in American higher education for pluralism, that is, different kinds of colleges. Uh, so you have a great big agricultural college, and then you have a great big sport, sport well, they're all like that, where the athletes get to practically no work and whatever, but that you also have some single-sex colleges, and we have that. Smith is a really excellent single-sex college, and women who want that experience in the United States should be able to choose. But at the time when all this was going on, and it went on at Goucher for a very long time, this argument, I didn't think the college was strong enough in terms of admissions and in terms of the quality of the students who were coming to survive. There was a statistic that we all read during this time, and it was that only 3% of all graduating high school women opted for even chose single-sex education. And you just can't fight those numbers. So that most women graduating from American high schools wanted to be educated in a coeducational environment. So there was part of the marketing issue. Uh, but to me, as I've, I've just said, it, it seems to me um, that you're almost playing the role of what we used to call in loco parentis, where colleges acted as parents, when you say, okay, we're just going to have an environment of women. And from a teacher's point of view, uh, this really does affect the classroom. It's not always true, but sometimes it's true that I would get classes in which there was not enough, as much conversation as there might be in a co-ed classroom. And of course that's a generalization that might or might not be true. Some of my colleagues argued, I would never make this argument, although I see the point, that there was a certain kind of student who opted to come to a single-sex institution and they were shyer. It was it had nothing to do with their intellectual capacities, but they were shyer. They were less gregarious. They were less able to cope with a co-educational environment, either intellectually or socially. Of course, the other side of this is that um, at Goucher on Fridays, there would just be this traffic jam to get out of here to go to male institutions for weekends or parties or whatever. So um, I just didn't th I just didn't think it was working. I'm sort of running all on as a mouth, but yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe um, um, I applaud the history as a committed feminist, I applaud the 19th century vision of 
women's college that were equal to men's colleges. And that's, of course, the, the historic origins of Goucher as the women's college of Baltimore. Where else could women go? Because they couldn't go to Hopkins. And they couldn't go to Loyola. So this movement that began Vassar, Smith, Wellesley, Goucher, etc., I applaud that. But times change. And so I think that while those institutions were formed because specifically because of discrimination, I think over time the justification for single-sex education diminished. And looking specifically at Goucher, then I think for all of the reasons uh, that I've just said, it was an appropriate thing to do, and I wish Goucher had done it sooner to go to Tory <laughs> Did a lot of the other faculty feel the same way? Most. We had a, a famous meeting in which the faculty voted, and two-thirds voted for coeducation and one-third to remain single-sex. And the faculty who voted to remain uh, single-sex gave what I considered to be lousy arguments. Um, and it was, some of it was that uh, men would take over classrooms. Some of it was that men were messier and dirtier than women. And that this sort of would foul the atmosphere, which I thought was terrifically um, homophobic in the sense that generalizing about uh, men and I think some of the faculty just simply were older and didn't want it, the challenge of dealing with a new constituency in the classroom. Um, how were the males received when they first came here? Were they well accepted? I thought so. Um, of course, the very first ones were, uh, well, they promoted themselves as pioneers and frontiersmen, and there was a little sexual overlay to that. You know, here we are, and we got all these willing women, sort of the 40 virgins from the Bible or something. Um, there was a time... I thought coeducation went pretty well. I mean, it was it was hard work at first, and then this generalization emerged that the guys weren't as good as the, the gals in, uh, in terms of their SAT scores or, or whatever. Um, I can't sp speak to that. I mean, the ones that I have, with the exception of one year in which I almost got the entire lacrosse team, and they almost, well, it was a class on the Civil War, and they just really w weren't very good. Um, I thought that the men were as good as the, the uh, women. There was a year in which, and this was at the very beginning, I guess in the early, what was the year, 85, 6, 7, that it went co-ed? Yeah. Uh, in the early 90s where 
the Baltimore Sun did a, a, a article on co-ed education, and it turned out that that year there was this terrific, there were two terrific male undergraduates, and they were the head of the paper, the head of the student government. So when the reporters came, they said, ah, here's this classic example where women can't hold their own, and the men have all the positions of authority. Well, it was these two really exceptional guys. I don't know how it is now. You, I could ask you a question. How is it in terms of the, I know Zeke is the head of the student government, but um, do women run the judicial boards and other things or not on the newspaper? I think it's pretty male dominated. Um, I don't really pay that much attention, attention to, to it. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the last election, well, that just happened. I, I think it was pretty male dominated. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's too bad. And I hope it's not a consistent pattern. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, it's certainly true when you look at this from another perspective of Phi Beta Kappa, the honor society. Women dominate there. When you see the, the lists of the, those who are elected, they're, they're more women than men. So maybe this speaks to the acculturation of women as being working hard and getting good grades and not necessarily being public figures. Was the first, how big was the first group of male? Oh, well, th there was one guy who came um, as a transfer. This is my memory. It may not be factual. Uh, but there were, well, maybe one or two who transferred in the second semester. And then, then there were noticeably, for a period of years, fewer males. Um, now... I know that there are fewer males, and you know, I mean, that's for two, two reasons. Um, but I don't notice it so much. And the two reasons, which I'm sure you know, are one that historically single-sex colleges for years have more, statistically, it's not 50-50. And of course, the second reason is that 60% of the college population is female now. The disappearing male college student is something that worries all kinds of educators, and who knows where those males are going, but uh, that difference is one um, that to some degree is troubling in terms of the male population. So if you work from 60-40 to begin with, and then you impose on that the historic tradition of it all women's college, then you get to what we are, which is what, 70, 30, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Did that one male live on campus? Or do you know if the, the male the one, yeah. Like oh, when he was on campus? Did he live on campus or did he commute? Or do you um, know? I think he, I think he was in the dorms. Mm -hmm. Um. But I'm not sure. 
and it was sort of an anomaly that he, the vote was made, and then I guess he was somewhere and applied, and they thought, what the heck, and I, I, I'm not really sure. Okay, it was an interesting <laughs> year. Um, did the change from going from all women to co-ed, did that affect the way you had to teach? Or not really. Um, no. For a time, I thought that um, it, there would be trouble because women would withdraw, but it certainly didn't change the practices of pedagogy. I mean, I think when you teach, there, you know, there are layers. There's what it is you're doing in class, and whether you have handouts or whether you're having groups. But then there's sort of a hidden agenda, which is what's everybody doing? Are there, and this is a psychological term, are there reticent students who really are so shy that it is a distinct issue for, the, for them to speak? I, I think for a while I, I was worried that women would be more reticent. and. I teach, when I have taught, I don't teach now, women's history, and that, of course, is a really interesting field when you get, as you do, a few males com come to those classes. This same undergraduate who was the first male took my women's history class, and I think he was just trying out his his boldness. You know, could he sit in a class where birth control was talked about and participate in and all that? Um, but I don't think I ever, ever, ever changed any methods of teaching, although I might have tried to shut some males up. But that's always the case. I mean, they're always, you know, 10% of the class dominates 80% of the discussion. Mm -hmm. And that's a significant issue for all teachers as to how you can get everyone to be invested, not just in papers, but in other modes of testing or encouraging, but also um, in the conversation in the classroom. Another question I was going to ask, mm -hmm. but I can't remember what it was now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's see. What have we talked about? We've talked about the decision, and oh, I, I do. I, let me speak just a little bit about the environment. Um, for those years in the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, this was a constant topic of conversation. It didn't happen overnight. The historical story here is that Goucher thought that Hopkins, which was single-sex, except for the graduate program, would possibly put their undergraduates here and keep the graduates' departments down at Homework. 
then overnight the trustees and I can't remember the date the trustees at Hopkins voted to go co-ed and then so this began this really serious conversation of voucher which went on and on and on till finally the with enrollments dropping uh, the trustees agreed to go co-ed it's important to know some of the arguments that were made not just by the faculty but uh, by others outside. There was a famous study done by a woman named Tidball and she argued, and this is still sort of a subterranean argument that's in this issue of single sex versus co-ed, um, she argued that the graduates of single sex institutions did better they went to graduate school, they got the better jobs or whatever. And those of us who look carefully, and I remember going and interviewing her, she was at George Washington, and her study was called the Tidball Study. And you know, I suddenly was struck with the idea that this is a statistically bad argument because she's comparing apples and pears. She's looking at women who went to very, very good colleges, Smith, Goucher, Wellesley. And she's looking at what they do after, after graduation. You can't compare that to the population at the University of West Virginia and what their graduates do. I hope you're not from West Virginia. Right? No, <laughs> I'm from Maryland. Oh, I <laughs> Or even the University of Maryland, which has a huge, very diverse population. And these were women at these colleges who came from affluent, literate homes. And of course they're gonna be going to graduate school and doing these things, whereas these other populations of women aren't. So uh, I felt that that argument really was deficient and compared apples and sour grapes or something. It just really wasn't equivalence. And um, later studies, after a significant number of other institutions went co-ed, especially the Ivies, suggest otherwise. You know, that they're, they're comparable. Hmm. I think we've covered the waterfront enough for your, are you gonna write a paper for this or? Oh, it's short, I'm sorry. Yeah, you've got plenty. <laughs> okay.